This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. All right, it's so good to see all of you here. Uh, let's stand for the opening prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. Through difficulty and challenge, let our faith grow. Bless us in this next session, and may the Holy Spirit be our real teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we only have about 45 minutes in this session. We'll have another hour session this afternoon. We may not quite finish all of this, so we may roll some of it into this afternoon, but just so you know that as we get into that. And uh, for some reason, I need to get this off of here so that we can get started. Moving mountains. Becoming the friend of God increases our faith. This is James 2.23. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as for righteousness. And he was called the what? So because he was the friend of God, he believed God. Now, Paul, Ratzar, and I are friends. I, I don't have any doubt that he will tell me the truth unless he has misinformation. But he would never deceive me intentionally. When you have God as your friend... You know him, and you know he's not going to deceive you. He's going to build you up. Isn't that good news? Yes. Yeah, amen. It's good news. All right, faith in God moves mountains. This is Jesus in Mark eleven twenty two to 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. I used to love the elder HMS Richard Sr. Any of you, you're not young enough, I mean old enough to remember that. He used to have, he used to have these poems that he would write. I'm, I've been trying to find them. Have faith in God. And then he would give a poem. Have faith in God. He, got, he must have got that from Mark. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Based on faith in God, Be removed and be cast into the sea, does, And does not doubt in his heart. By the grace of God we're done with fear and done with doubt. But believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, this is the teachings of Jesus. Now, I know we have a lot of Christians, and I'd say that kindly, you know, and all they say, just believe, believe, believe. But we know that there's more to belief than just simply mental assent. There's something far more when Jesus says believe. And so we're going to talk about some of that kind of a thing. So knowing God increases our faith. And we, we've talked about that, so I'm going to skip by. We've got a lot of stuff in here that's really, really, really good. Now this is Mind, Character, and Personality, page 537. Let us put away everything like distrust and want of faith in Jesus. Let us commence a life of simple, childlike trust. Not relying upon, underline the word, feeling, but upon what? Now, I want to stop right there. In North America, over the last 30 years, you have watched North America, religious world, Protestants, Catholics, whatever. It's all switched from faith to feeling. So people don't believe they have faith unless they have a feeling. Now, you may, don't get me wrong, I love the beautiful music that's here. They do a good job with that, and that's wonderful. And you have a good, warm feeling when that's done. That's not faith. 
It may encourage your faith. You may gain inspiration from it. But that feeling is not faith. Faith, as we'll see, is a choice. I'm telling you that when the three Hebrews were thrown into the fiery furnace, there was no inspirational music. There was music, but it wasn't inspirational. I just want you to think. That was a choice. They looked that fiery furnace in the face. They looked the Nebuchadnezzar in the face and made a choice based on their trust in God. All right. Do not dis, I love this. Do not dishonor Jesus by doubting his precious promises. Uh, what is that song? All the promises are mine. Every word, every line. How can I say that? Because I have, I have faith in Jesus. And since I have faith in Jesus, I am now a child of Abraham. And that means that all the promises in both the Old Testament and New Testament are mine. Isn't that good news? That's great news. We need to read those promises. He wants us to believe in him with what kind of faith? Unwavering faith. All right. This is A.G. Starr at Ellen White's funeral. And this is what he said. I can compare, I'm reading the yellow. I can compare her life only to the sturdy oak that meets the wind and bears its severest pressures. Or the mountain that laughs at the storm. And then he says this. Her faith in God was invincible. Don't you want to have faith in God that's invincible? It'll make all the difference in your, work and the, in your Christian walk and what God does with your life. So we want to go from humility to invincible faith. This is that they may know him, page 37, 38. From the root of true humility springs the most precious greatness of mind. This is what Moses learned. Greatness which leads men to conform to the image of Christ. This conforming to the image of Christ is part of believing. You don't just believe in a mental asset. Faith actually transforms you into being into the image of Christ. And by the way, when Jesus comes, he's going to have a church that reflects his image. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, there are three hallelujahs there. And... Uh, they're, they're praising God because Babylon has been overthrown and destroyed. But the third hallelujah is that they're praising God because the bride of Christ has put on her wedding garments. And it's like heaven was saying, what took you so long? But it's going to happen. And I want to be part of that. All right. Those who possess this greatness gain patience and trust in God. Their faith is invincible. Their true consecration and devotion keeps self hidden. Now, folk, we need to talk about faith and not talk doubt. And I want you to read this one. Let's read it. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Let's go. Let us take heed to our words. Let us talk faith and we shall have faith. Never give place to a thought of discouragement in the work of God. Never utter a word of doubt. It is a seed sown in the heart of both speaker and hearers to produce a harvest of discouragement and unbelief. Wow, that is really something. Now, I, 
I was in not that long ago in a place called Seychelles. And uh, Pastor Paul is pastoring two wonderful churches there, and they had called him to do something else. And uh, we were talking, and he says, well, he says, they want me to come, and they want me to train a 1,000 people in Madagascar. But he said, I think Jesus wants me to train 3,000. So you tell them what happened. Thank you. You see, when you believe that God is powerful, and you do this for his glory, not for your own glory, then there is no limit. Because for the glory of God, uh, you, you should not be afraid. Because you, you will, not be, uh, will not fall into presumption. Because you do this for God, not for you to be seen, oh, he's, he's doing great things. So um, I believe that when you plan for God, actually, we need to know the plan of God. God will tell us what he wants us to do. That is very important. That means you have to be close to God so that God will tell his plan. He is a friend. And if he's a friend, if friends share things, he said, okay, I'm only sharing this with you. No, I've not shared this. You share things with friends, not with stranger. Uh, because you, you are not going to tell people there about your life on the street. You know my life. But you can share things uh, with your friend, confidential things, because you trust him. And if you are the friend of God, this is what it is. And for planning uh, for the work of God, we need this friendship a lot. So in my uh, life of ministry, I'm trying, not that I've reached that level, but I'm always trying to find the mind of God. Amen. What is the mind of God on this? So when I was asked to train the lay people in Madagascar, we were planning like 1,000. And I prayed about this. And I had this strong conviction that God wants more. And then we said, okay, let's plan for 3,000. Instead of 1,000 lay people to preach, to preach the gospel. Lay people and pastors as well. And the Lord has blessed and we have reached that goal. And even we, uh, we reached more than 3,000. God, God is so powerful. But let me share with you a challenging thing. In Congo again, there are many things that I learned in Congo, you know. There we, there's a city in the capital city of Kinshasa that was long time ago. The number of Adventists were quite few. We were only during that time like 900, 900 members in a city of about 8 million. The bulk of membership, they are in the different states, but uh, for that one, the church was not growing. Praise God, it is growing, uh, and that has been changed. But during that time, we had only 900. So we had a leader who, who decided to visit us, and we said, okay, what shall we do? And we said, uh, are we going to, is he going to talk to the 900? And then we decided, let's use that opportunity I know you weren't going to mention the name. I want to 
But it was a general conference president, not the present one, but it was a general conference president. I thought they ought to know that. So we, we decided to use that opportunity to reach out. Said this is a great opportunity for us to reach this big, big city of only 900 people with 8 million population. This is a great opportunity. So instead of just us at, uh, listening to him, let's let's use this as an evangelistic opportunity. So we decided. We have prayed so hard, and we believe that that was what God wanted to do said, let's go and hire a big hall that can take like 16,000. 16,000. And we are going to invite people to come and listen to the word of God. During that time, it was Sabbath. So we are going to use the Sabbath as an evangelistic uh, opportunity. And we said, every member at least we need to work with 10 people, 10 people. And we are going to bring them during that time to the meeting. So we agreed, the pastors and the lay people, and prayed and planned. We need to, you know, you need to pray and plan and work at the same time. So we did this. And then we have been uh, doing the planning and the leader would say, okay, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, work on this. So he asked me, where do we have our, pl- our meeting? And I was there, said, okay, in this big hall, said, what is the seating capacity? The seating capacity, I said, 16,000. And he said, how many, how many Adventists do you have in that area? He says, oh, you have 900 and probably even less, uh, those who are coming, a little bit less. Oh, 900? And you are hiring 16,000? He said, yes, we have prayed about this, we have planned, and uh, they are going to come. And I could see that he was struggling about that idea. And I started to struggle also. I started to doubt a little bit in my heart. I said, "Uh, maybe this is not a good idea. But Lord, we have prayed about this and we are convinced and everybody. So the Sabbath came, Sabbath morning. It rained that day. And you know, in uh, in that context, not many people have their own car. They rely on the public transportation and also walking. So came Sabbath morning. Only few people came. About, that was for the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath school. It was about, I looked, you know, I, I really wanted to see. I looked, we were only about 1,000 people. And I said, Lord, what is this? Maybe is this presumption? But we prayed and we believe that this is what God, you God wants us. So halfway Sabbath school, we were 
but maybe 1,500 people. And there was bleeding inside. Said, Lord, uh, what will happen today? What about your name? What about faith? Then Sabbath school was finished. I looked again, and the leaders were there. They were there, many people. And, uh, it was really something very intense. And then we were preparing for the divine service. Only few people came, like even less than 2,000, in a place where that can take 16,000. Can you imagine? Then we started the divine service. And I was praying to the Lord, Lord, this is a test of faith. We have done something big for you in the past. What is happening now? Then just before, before the offering, the rain stopped. The rain stopped. And before the sermon, that the big doors, people just flock into that door. We had about 14,000 people. 14,000 people in that place. And then he said, okay, are you sure that they are not Adventists? Yes, definitely not. Then let me change my sermon, he said. And he preached a powerful sermon on evangelism and the love of Jesus and salvation and made an altar call and people just came and gave their lives to Jesus. And I praised God. And I said, said to the Lord, thank you. And I said also, never, never, people will convince me not to plan big for the Lord. Because I, I don't plan it for myself. I plan it for his glory. And as long as it is for his glory, there's no limit for his glory, for the preaching of the gospel, to finish the preaching of, of the gospel in this generation. That is what we call faith. And this is the way for us to finish the preaching of the gospel in this generation. We need to have that faith that moves mountain. Amen. Thank you so much. I, I'm just so inspired by that. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a saying that sometimes that says that um, God may never be early, but he's never late. Yeah. And uh, he showed up that day. He showed up and stopped the rain and made it possible. All right, this invincible faith and gives us invincible courage. So I'm going to skip down through here. Uh, let me give you this one. Work with charity or love and invincible courage, for you must do this if you would succeed. It is faith that gives you courage. It is, it is uh, no, if you don't have fear and you don't have doubt and you have faith, you're going to have courage to do great things for God. All right, here's the secret of success. And it says, and this is a great one, when perplexities arise and difficulties confront you, do not look for help to humanity. Trust all with God. Now, this difficulties and perplexities, what's a perplexity? It's like being in a crossroads and not knowing which way to go. Am I right? Perplexities. The practice, this is amazing. 
Uh, the practice, this comes from Christ Object Lessons, by the way. I think it's 146 or 5. The practice of telling our difficulties to others only makes us weak and brings no strength to them. It lays upon them a burden of our spiritual infirmities. Now, that doesn't mean you can't go for some coaching. That's not the point. The point is she's telling us we need to take these things to God. We need to put our trust here, uh, which they cannot relieve. We seek the strength of erring, finite men when we might have the strength of an unerring, infinite God. It is not the capabilities you now possess or ever will have that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. Um, it's such a powerful statement. I want to say to young people, you want to have success in your life. Am I right? I haven't met a young person yet that doesn't say, I want to have success. Right here is the secret of that success. Talk faith. Talk faith and, and put your trust in God. He is able to answer every kind of thing. Here are the three longings of God. This is still coming from Christ's object lessons. These are the three longings of God. Here they are. He longs for you to reach after him, after him by faith. He longs to have you expect great things from him. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I don't know if we have the time for the story, but you told me this story many years ago. In my understanding, it is true, and that's Alexander the Great. Uh, you know what story I'm talking about. You want to yes. tell that? See if you can pull it down really tight and tell that story real quick. Expect great things. Expect great things. You know, our God is a great God. And uh, we, when you ask, we can ask small things, but ask also for great things. That really will stretch your faith. That is a way for your, our faith to be strong. You have to stretch, like exercise, stretch yourself, do something, and then you become stronger every day. Alexander the Great was known for his um, exploits in war. At some point that uh, he even wept because he, he ran out of uh, countries to conquer. But Alexander the Great also is known for his compassion for his people, so, so much so that he set aside a day, a day of compassion. They call it a day of compassion. For that day of compassion, he selected citizens, people, um, to come to his palace. And if you are selected, the thing is, you can ask anything you want. This is the way. If you are selected uh, to face the, uh, the king, Alexander the Great, you can ask. So in one compassionate day, people were selected, and they came to the palace. He said the, the king was there, and, you know, the, the empire was big, so some of them probably have a hard time to express. They needed a translation and all of this. So uh, there was this uh, translator or someone, a kind of a spokesperson. He was there, and... Uh, the people selected, they were there, and the king was here. So he said, okay, what do you want from the king? And then this man would say, you know, I really want, I, I want money to buy food for my children, or uh, medication for my family. We are poor. Uh, we need, need this. He said, okay, uh, request granted. To give him something. How much money do you really need? So the king the king, uh, Alexander the Great, gave that. Then there was this man. He said, it's your turn. He said, what do you want? What do you want from the king? He said, I want a palace. 
I said, what? I want a palace. A palace. Uh, this is what they, and he, he spoke through this middleman. Went to a palace. And the middleman said, no, 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 no. You, you cannot ask that. That is too much. Never. The king will never grant that. He said, yes, uh, I want a palace. But not only just a palace, but I want it furnished. He said, not only a palace, not empty palace, but furnished palace. Oh, no, 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 no. I will never convey that to the king. You will say no. He said, but I want it. And he said, not only furnish palace, but when uh, it is done, I would like also the palace to give him money to throw a banquet. And I will invite all my friends. He said, that is the gift I want. I want a palace, furnish palace, and a banquet. And the man said, no, 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 no. There's no way I can convey that. And then Alexander the Great there, you became impatient. Uh, what is going on there? What is he wanting? I said, no, 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 king, I cannot even tell you. He said, but what is it? No, 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 there's no way. And finally said, the king, Alexander the Great, warded, tell me. I said, you know, uh, my king, this man is just a stubborn man. And he's very unreasonable. There's no way you can grant that. He's asking unreasonable things. He said, but what is it? You know, you know what, my king? He wants a palace. And not only a palace, but furnished palace. And not only furnished palace, but he wants us to pay for a big banquet so that he can invite all his friends. He said, do you think that is reasonable, my king? There's no way we can give that. And then Alexander the Great just said, Request granted. He said, why, why? Uh, why are you giving that? He said, you know what? All these people here, they are asking for food. From, uh, they are asking for medication. But, you know, we don't need a king, he said, to give that. Anyone can give that. But for him, he's the only one that recognizes that I'm a king. And I can't do that. He makes me feel like a king. That's why I'm going to grant this. Our God is the king of kings. He's powerful and will do that for his glory, for the finishing of the work. So we need to ask great things. We need to venture for great things for God. And God would like to grant that just to show that he is powerful and is a king and he wants to prove you right. Amen. <laughs> what a great, powerful God we have. And he's yeah. not limited on resources. Um, so he longs to have you reach after him by faith. He longs to have you expect great things from him, and he longs to give you understanding in temporal as well as spiritual matters. So it doesn't matter if you're a physician, if you're a carpenter, or a minister, or whoever you are. It's not just spiritual things God will give you wisdom, but he'll give you wisdom with the temporal things as well. Isn't that powerful? That's Christ's Object Lessons, page uh, 146. For sake of time, and I'm watching that time, we may not have time for question and answer, but we'll have 
Hopefully the next session will have some of that. Coming back to that invincible faith. This is still Christ's object lessons. And I just simply broke it down here a little bit. I'm going to know number two. Never allow yourself to talk in a hopeless, discouraged way. If you do, you will lose what? You're certainly not going to move mountains. So you want to talk in a positive, faithful way. That's what it takes to move mountains. Number three, by looking at appearances and complaining when difficulties and pressures come, you give evidence of a sickly, sickly enfeebled face, faith. What I've had to do, I've had to say, Lord, what? You know, I'll be, I'll, I'll be out trimming my grapevines. And you can let your mind start running in the complaining and the whining have you ever been a whiner don't raise your hand whining about this and oh lord why whining quit the whining and i I said and and the lord would say to me not out loud of course why are you whining you think i can't handle that you think i can't handle that person You got anything you're whining about you think I can't fix or deal with? I said, I'm sorry, Lord. There's nothing here that you cannot deal with. Isn't that true? So if you want to move mountains, don't be a whiner. The Lord, and I love this one. The Lord is rich in resources. He owns the world. We read these statements, but we don't fulfill the conditions in order to watch this thing happen. Look heavenward in faith. Look to him who has light and efficiency. Listen, our your heavenly father is not poor. By the way, sometime read Colossians chapter 1. Okay, back to this invincible faith. Continuing with Christ's Optical Lessons 147. There is in genuine faith. What kind of faith? There's a lot of faith in the world that's not genuine. A buoyancy. What's a buoyancy? A, bu- uh, a buoyancy floats to the top. It's not down on the bottom. There's a buoyancy. It floats. It goes to the top. A steadfastness. I love that word. You can't shake it. You can throw whatever you want to throw at it, and it just it rolls off its back like water off a duck's back. Throw a storm at it. But it's steadfast. It's steady. It's not going to be shaken. A fixedness of purpose. God loves it when we have a singleness of purpose. Lord, you called me to do uh, X, Y, and Z. And I am going to do that because you called me to do it. Fixedness of purpose. That neither time, patience, or toil, difficulty... Can weaken. Isn't that the kind of genuine faith you want? Move mountains with that kind of faith. All of you may have heard of George Mueller. How many of you have heard of George Mueller? Lots of people. It's amazing. This man lived back in the 1800s, and people still know about him today. He's one of the, uh, a very interesting figure. And, and I invite you to go and get all of his stuff, read all of his stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about that here. Uh, George Mueller, just for some of you who don't know, provided for thousands of orphans. By the way, I've thought to myself, I've had a lot of responsibility, and you have too as a pastor and administrator and so forth. And uh, you wake up in the morning and you think about everything you've got to do and so forth. But I tell you, I cannot think of wanting to wake up in the morning 
and have 2,000 orphans for which I have to feed, educate, clothe, hire all the people to take care of them, and 10,000 other things to go with it. This guy, this guy woke up every morning, and he didn't have a huge savings. In fact, one night, uh, the person who wrote his biography, uh, I think his name is Pearson, he was visiting George Mueller, and, and uh, before bedtime, and they were going to have a little season of prayer together, and Mueller just mentions, you know what, I, we don't have any food in the morning for breakfast. And Pearson got on him. He said, what do you mean? He says, how come you haven't taken care of that? The stores are already closed. Mueller looked at him and said, it wouldn't have mattered. We don't have any money in the bank. Pearson said, you know, he's there stressed out over it. You ever get stressed out? Don't raise your hand. But Mueller wasn't stressed. He says, we're just going to kneel together and pray. And he prayed a very simple prayer. That night, and uh, actually the person who it happened to told it after Mueller's death. That night, God woke up a pretty wealthy man and said, you need to take something to the orphans. He says, it's the middle of the night. I'm not doing it. And he, he couldn't shake it. God kept coming back. Every time he would resist, it got stronger. Finally, he just gave up because he figured he wasn't going to get any sleep that night. And uh, he got up and he got his servants together. And he showed up the next morning before breakfast with a month's worth of food. Mueller's faith had great confidence. Now, you've probably heard this story. I'm going to tell it really quick again because it just shows. Mueller is elderly now. Um, he's turned the orphanage over to, to his son-in-law, and they're running it. And I, I got more stories on this one. But anyway, Mueller, the, the boat is stopped in the mid-Atlantic because of icebergs and a huge fog that came in. Mueller went to the captain of the ship, who was a Christian, and Mueller never told the story. The captain of the ship told the story. And he went to the captain, and he says, Sir, he says, I've never missed an appointment, and I'm supposed to be in Canada on Wednesday. And the captain says, Well, sir, he says, you can look around here and see we're not going anywhere. He says, Well, would you mind going down to your stateroom, and let's pray together? Sure, said the captain. They went down, and the captain started, uh, he said, Mueller prayed. He said he prayed a prayer like a kindergartner, just a simple, sweet prayer. Lord, thank you for taking away the fog. And then the captain started to pray, and Mueller put his hand on the captain's shoulder, and he says, sir, there's no need for you to pray. He says, for two things. One is, you don't really believe. And the other thing is that God has already lifted the fog. He says, just go open the door. And the fog was gone. Captain told that story. Mueller's life was so surrendered to God. And th even this is hard. Some of this is just hard for me, but it's just the surrender and the perfect peace that God was in charge of his life and that God kept his promises. He and his wife were sitting on the, I think it was on the dock in New York, and they were getting ready to take a long voyage on a ship. That's what people did in those days. And they did not provide deck chairs. Now, you don't want to be on one of these ships 
particularly older, and not have a deck chair. You needed that. And Mueller's stuff had not arrived. And somebody came to, uh, they were traveling with, said, you better go buy some deck chairs because your, your stuff's not going to make it. They're getting ready to, we're getting ready to board here. I mean, just don't worry about it. It'll be all right. And so now they were opening the boarding, and everybody was starting to get on the ship. And the man said, please, he says, that's a long voyage. You've got to have deck chairs. And Mueller said, just don't worry. I asked the Lord. The Lord never lets me down. Just as the getting ready to pull the gangplank up or something to that effect, here comes the cart, and on top are Mueller's deck chairs. That's the kind, that's the kind of resting faith this man had. And that's why I want us to listen to him. I, I want to press you as young people and even older folk, go study the life of George Mueller. And now, he didn't have understanding of theology like we all do. But God's got many precious people. And uh, some of this happened long before even the Adventist church got started. But uh, at any rate, um, let me just go on here a little bit. This is, this is not the story I told. This is a little different one. But for sake of time, I'm going to skip that. And I want to give George Mueller's four ways to strengthen your faith. The careful reading of the Word of God combined with meditation on it. Through reading the Word of God, and especially through meditation on it, the believer becomes more and more acquainted with the nature and the character of God, and thus sees more and more, besides His holiness and justice, what a kind, loving, gracious, merciful, mighty, wise, and faithful being He is. Notice the meditation of Mueller is not the kind of stuff that we hear to empty your mind, get into silence. No. He says, read God's word and meditate on the word of God, and that will strengthen your faith. Um, so you increase faith with the word. I'm going to skip on here because I want to get to the next. Okay, number two. As with reference to the growth of every grace of the Spirit, it is of utmost importance that we seek to maintain an upright heart and a good conscience. How can I possibly continue to act faith upon God concerning anything if I'm habitually grieving Him? Now, He was not a Seventh-day Adventist, but He understood Scripture. You give up sin. And you do that by the power of the Lord Jesus. You can't do it on your own. But you have this divine Savior, this human Savior, who's able to deliver us from this thing. Don't, don't buy into this evangelical stuff that swirls around us and even influences in the Adventist church. Oh, just believe. You're okay. God, I, I heard one leader. I say it sweet kinds. I heard one leader. Very prominent leader. Adventist leader. Oh, I'll just be sinning till the day I die. I said to myself, you haven't read scripture. And, and he's right about, Mueller's right about this. You need to go to bed at night with a clear conscience. Three. If we indeed desire our faith to be strengthened, we should not shrink from opportunities where our faith may be tried and therefore 
through the trial be strengthened. And it goes back to my whining thing. If our faith is going to be strengthened, we are going to have challenges that will give us the opportunity to strengthen our faith. Four, the last important point for the strengthening of our faith is that we let God work for us when the hour of trial comes, uh, when the hour of the trial of our faith comes and do not work for a deliverance of our own. By the way, there's another person, it wasn't Mueller who said, blessed is the man who can get God to work for him. And that's what faith does. Faith is in this mighty God who loves to do things for us. Because we're his children. There are a few of us who are a little older in here. Do you love your children? Want to do things for your children? I love my children. They're grown. But I love to do nice things for them. Our Heavenly Father, we're his children. But don't try to fix it yourself. Abraham tried that, by the way. And it cost him a terrible night. In the morning, he had to send Ishmael away. When we try to fix stuff ourselves, there's usually a lot of pain in trying to understand that we should have just trusted the Lord with it. Um, I, these are a few quotes. I'm watching the time here. Faith, this is Mueller. Faith does not operate on the rim of po the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Isn't that great? I love that. This is Hudson Taylor, great missionary. By the way, we need to study the lives of these missionaries who opened up India, who opened up, and Adventist missionaries. We've got some great pioneer Adventist missionaries. We need to study their lives. I, when I look at their lives, I'm, I'm just blown away by these uh, great men and women of God. This is Hudson Taylor. He says, there are three stages in the work of God. I love this. Impossible, difficult, done. <laughs> um, here's uh, some more from Hudson Taylor I'm not going to read them all for sake of time unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God there is no need for what okay. that's why foreign missionaries are always risking something that's what Pastor Paul was telling us going to the Congo is a huge risk all God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten a hold of God's faithfulness. Amen. And then um, let's, uh, oh, this, this, is, this is really good. Let us give up our work, our thoughts. This means what it means to surrender to God. Our work, our thoughts, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right into his hand. And then, when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to trouble about or to make trouble about. God is not looking for men of great faith. He's looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. Those are all Hudson Taylors. Uh, William Carey, great missionary to India. And I've got a couple more minutes here. Um, 
he says that when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst the many, so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God and his word is true. Through, though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are. And the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse. Can you see what he's putting up with? Though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith fixed on the sure word would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. That's confidence. God's cause will triumph. That's powerful. Mm. To say that is not bragging. He's just simply saying his faith is invincible because he has an invincible God. Back to George Mueller. What is faith? Oh, I know I'm out of time. I'm, I'm going to steal a minute or two. Uh, and, and we'll try to finish the rest of this this afternoon. George, what is faith and what it is not? First, fa- what is faith? It is the simplest, in the simplest manner in which I am able to express it. I answer, faith is the assurance that the thing which God has said in his word is true. And that God will act according to what he has said in his word. This assurance this reliance on God's word, this confidence is faith. Okay, well, maybe that's a good place to stop right here. And we'll be back this afternoon when we talk about paying the price. We'll bring a little bit more of this back in there because I've got some other things from George Mueller. I think that will be a blessing to you. Let's stand for the benediction. Our Heavenly Father, Nurture us and help us to nurture that faith you've given us until our faith becomes invincible in an invincible God. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.